Hello, everybody. I am Gabriel Berry, and welcome to the Your Song, My Song podcast. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Jesse Keller. Jesse, how are you doing? What's going on, Gabe? How are you? Uh, I'm doing fantastic right now. Uh, I am sitting in my office. It is a little chilly in here. Uh, you know, fall is here, uh, and it's kind of gone into full swing. So, this is true. My my nose is now starting to get clogged up. Thank you, fall. See, I don't really have that issue when it comes to fall. I have more of that issue when it comes to spring. Um, mm. I just I'll just get like full blown sick in fall sometimes though. Which yeah, I get happen. I get sick in the fall, and I just get stuffy in the spring. Yeah, no, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. But um, how you doing? How, how's everything going with you? How was your uh, your weekend? What have you been doing with yourself? Weekend's good. I uh, went to go visit my grandma for her birthday, which was mm-hmm. last week. Um, but I had something happen at work that was really weird. Okay, and what is that? I, I don't really have too much information on it, but basically this guy, he's a maintenance guy. He showed up to work hammered. Oh, and he passed out on one of the chairs on the first floor of Nordstrom. Oh, my God. Basically, all I heard was someone scream, thinking that this person was dead. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, And then from there, they called the police and they got like EMS to come and they like brought him upstairs to the third floor. Oh, God. Like waiting, waiting for EMS to show up. Yeah. And then basically like. Five cop cars were outside, and this was all at like eight thirty in the morning. Yikes! We were we were questioning whether if uh, he was partying still from the night before, or he was just uh, you know day drinking. Man, that is that is crazy. <laughs> that is that is not that's not great. No, but you know, at eight thirty in the morning, we were questioning what the hell was going on, why there was a gurney showing up at Nordstrom. Yeah. Yikes. Oh yeah. man, well. Shout out to that guy. I hope yeah. he's okay. I think he's okay. He probably had doesn't have a job, but you know. I would assume so. Yeah. Um, well, um my weekend was uh okay. What'd you do? Um I saw a lot of movies this mm. weekend. Watched a lot of TV, watched that new Jeffrey Dahmer show that's out on Netflix. Oh yeah, how is that? It's okay. It's uh it's pretty solid. It's actually got some it's you know, we are a music podcast, not to get into tv and movies too much it, it actually has a pretty cool soundtrack and evan peters is really good in it um is I'm he not a, yeah i'm not a true crime fan but he is creepy i'm just gonna say though if you intend on watching it each episode's like an hour long it's so long it's such a slow burn but um i wasn't i mean i know who jeffrey dahmer is but i'm never really familiar with like the extent of his crimes outside of him being like a rapist and a cannibal and shit like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I know, I know they had that that show, uh, my friend Dahmer. Yeah, it's or, a movie. Or, it was a movie, movie. Yeah, with uh, with Ross Lynch. That was recently on something or other. I don't remember. It's on. Um, I want to say it's on Hulu. Uh, you could stream it. Was it? Hulu? Um, yeah, it's actually it's based off of a graphic novel that's written by a dude who did have an a somewhat of an acquaintance slash friendship with Jeffrey Dahmer in high school. So oh. it's a real it's a real story. So, but um, more importantly, um, I got to see. I know I teased this uh, last episode, but I got to watch. Don't worry, darling. 
mm-hmm. uh, this weekend, which has Ari Styles in it. Hello, everybody. It's me. It's Ari. Oh, my God. Harry, you're on the show. Ari Styles here. Listen to Ari's house and go see Don't Worry, Darling. Hello, it's me. It's Ari. No, um, it's not Ari Styles. And you really you you fooled me there. You You got me. Thank you. I'm. I've been really working on my Ari Styles impression, uh, especially how he doesn't pronounce uh, certain vowels. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, um, don't worry, darling. Not to spoil anything because I know you haven't seen it yet. But mm-hmm. it was incredibly mid. It was super underwhelming, uh, and the story wasn't great. And Harry Styles made me laugh every time he tried to seriously act on screen and. Maybe he doesn't need to not act again, but he definitely needs to go refine himself a little bit better before he does it. Mm-hmm. So, and I also saw, speaking of musicians uh, who do acting stuff, uh, I watched Spree for the very first time. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. You got to let me know. What, what do you think about that? And I thought Joe Keery was great in mm-hmm. it, and that was about it. Otherwise, it was yeah. It was just kind of long and weird, and uh, I don't. It's know. weird. See, the funny thing is, it did get decent reviews. This was a movie shot before the pandemic, mm-hmm. and then I think it released during, or if not, just a little bit before. I really liked. I liked his performance too. I thought he was very creepy, and you yeah. kind of felt like, oh my gosh. This guy thinks he is doing something, you know? He plays unhinged very well. And uh, I just thought the um, the set... I mean, I do like how it was shot and definitely like, you know, how low budget it was, how they shot it. It takes mostly inside of the car uh, and the cameras inside of the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really like that. Like, I like how it was shot, um, you know, from the perspective of like the cameras phone cameras cctv stuff like that like very much like a third person uh filmmaking type thing so what didn't you like the story uh was really weird um this i don't know if i want to spoil anything but uh he just progressively does more and more crazy shit like spoilers he kills people he's trying to kill people to get famous and like in the first 30 minutes he gets like he kills like three or four people. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was like, bro, there's no fucking way if he was live streaming this right now that this wouldn't be any sort of fucking news anywhere. I mean, I know he had like zero followers or whatever, like he didn't have that much of a following, but he was very clearly killing people, especially he runs somebody over with a car. Yeah. Um, I did really like the ending, though, like um, the stuff that goes on during the credits. Um, uh-huh. It felt very meta. And I like that, but in terms of, like, the whole meat and potatoes, mm-hmm. it was okay. It's on Hulu. I recommend anybody, if you like Joe Keery, you want to go check out, you know, something other besides Stranger Things. He's really good in it. He's, like, I would say he's, like, the shining star, kind of, like, in a very mid-movie. And um, I don't recommend Don't Worry, Darling. Don't waste your fucking time with that movie. It was kind of ass. You know, it's not great. It's really funny. Um, Spree the movie isn't as good as the marketing for Spree. the The trailer for that movie is awesome. Yeah. The I've watched that trailer many times before the movie came out, and it did not get mm-hmm. old. And then what they did 
was Kurt actually had an Instagram account and they made posts of like, you know, fake posts of this guy, of this character, Kurt from Kurt's world. And they are very funny. Yeah, I do like the marketing and I like that there are actually accounts. And again, it's very meta. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cool aspect to it. But outside of that, there's really not much yeah. that I really super enjoy about it. I thought it was very, it definitely wouldn't hold up to a repeat watch, but I agree. It was, it was, it was okay. You know, it wasn't, it was, I'll say, don't worry, darling was way worse. <laughs> so, and, um, I also watched bodies, 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 but, um, I thought that was kind of stupid as well. It had an interesting soundtrack to it, but not to get into it too much. I had a very movie filled weekend while I was off. So, well, it makes sense with, uh, you know, today's topic. Yes. Um, but before we get into that, Jesse, just before we get into the meat and potatoes of our television show or sorry, our, uh, our podcast you like you like to say meat and potatoes a lot today huh yeah meat and potatoes man because i got meat and i got potatoes on my mind as always um but we got a little bit of housekeeping at the top as always um just a reminder to everybody uh a new episode of the pod launches every monday we are on uh spotify apple podcasts youtube Google. google podcasts and the free feeds so anywhere that you listen to podcasts we are around uh, make sure you give us a follow on any of those platforms that you listen to us. Um, speaking of which, uh, give us a follow over on Instagram at uh, YSMS underscore podcast. And feel free to DM us with any comments, questions, concerns, episode ideas. Uh, we have a big docket of episodes that we kind of have already planned out, but we will always take fresh, cool ideas. And obviously, we want to hear any constructive criticism. But And don't forget... And- Yes. In every episode description, there is the link to our link tree where you could find the playlists on Apple Music and on Spotify for the songs that we talk about during the show. Yes. If you click on the link tree, you will be able to find the podcasts. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have music licensing rights, so we cannot play the music during the podcast. But you are more than welcome to go and listen to the playlist uh, before, after. uh, It's up to you and then listen to us. So or listen to us and then go listen to the playlist. You know, it's all up to you. But with that being said, uh, let's get into the show. Uh, And the show works as follows. Me and Jesse, we both selected 10 songs built around uh, today's theme of our episode. And out of these, we're going to choose five of those songs to talk about more in detail. No particular order. And this week's theme is Jesse. Drum roll. What is it? Soundtracks from movies. Hey, yeah, soundtracks from movies. Now, yeah. this is uh, there's a little caveat to this. Yes. So, for everybody listening, the songs that we chose aren't songs that were written for the movie. They yes. were s- simply songs that were in a movie. Yes, these are songs that were featured on the soundtrack, not originally made for the film so you won't see things like footloose on here because that was a song written for footloose or something like uh staying alive exactly or more than a woman you know those were for saturday night fever 
Yes, but we do have an episode coming in the future that will be dedicated to songs made for film. Yes. Specifically. So, but this is just soundtracks. Um, we are going to get into, I believe, a little bit of spoiler territory uh, on some of these movies. Some of these movies that we're talking about are well over a decade old. And if you haven't seen them, what are you doing with yourself? What are you doing with your life? You got to get out there and watch more movies. Um, but yeah, so just keep that in mind. A uh, bit of a spoiler warning going ahead. Um, I'll try at least with one of the things I'm going to talk about not to spoil it because it's not as well known. Um, and I want more people to go watch said movie. But yeah, beside that being said, Jesse, with all that being said, what is your first song? All right. Your movie soundtracks. So the first song that I chose is Stuck in the Middle with You by Steeler's Wheel from 1992's Reservoir Dogs. What an excellent choice. Uh, this song, every time I hear it, instantly think of that scene with Mr. Blonde. The song originally came out in April of 73, and for the longest time, I thought that this song was George Harrison singing it. Really? Yep. It was it was a combination between me just hearing it, but then also because my mom told me that's who was singing it. Oh. And I didn't learn about who it actually was until I was 15. Oh, okay. I vividly remember this, being in Division, hearing the song, saying that I thought it was George Harrison, and then I forget who it was. It's one of the teachers. I think it was. I think it was Murphy. Yeah, Mr. Murphy. But shout out Steeler Wheel. They. Uh, it's Jerry Rafferty and uh, Joe Egan, which I didn't know. Didn't know that. Yeah, I love Jerry Rafferty. He was on the Fall playlist. But yeah, that's the song. Gabe, what do you think about it? It's such a great track, you know. Um, and I'll just say this off the bat. Um, at least with the way that I've kind of designed my list, um, I feel like when you talk about a movie soundtrack, um, you know, it's not just the song itself. I mean, you can have a great song, but mm-hmm. if the scene sucks, it might not work. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. You could have a great scene, but you could put a really bad song with it. So these things have to meld together. And I think this is a perfect combination here. You have this excellent track by Steeler's Wheel set to this just almost kind of like sadistic scene. It's so it's so like cringy to watch. Like, you know, like uh not like cringy in a bad way, but like just like you cringe in horror. Like yeah. you know, like you're just uncomfortable mm-hmm. in a sense of like you're scared. Because uh Mr. Blonde, right? Because I, I I haven't seen uh I haven't seen Reservoir Dogs in a long time. I was I was about to say my heart sank. I thought you were about to say that you haven't seen Oh it. no, I've seen Reservoir Dogs. It's just it's not like one of my top Tarantino films. Mm-hmm. Um it's definitely kind of lower on the rung uh for me. Not that I think it's bad. I just it's not one of my favorites, you know. He's got so many good ones, it's hard to, you know. His whole filmography is basically spotless, but um no, I just him kind of playing with the knife and being all playful and the song's very upbeat. Mm -hmm. And also I kind of like it because they're all kind of, you know, they're, you know, they're keeping their heads down and they're kind of all on the run that whole, you know, stuck in the middle with you. They're Mm -hmm. stuck right now type thing. I thought it all worked together really well. uh, And I think it's definitely a, it's an incredibly iconic scene, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think again, 
a common theme here. The two without each other, they wouldn't be as iconic if one piece was missing. So, but yeah, I think it's a great track and I think it's a great scene from an excellent film. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's really cool. The, uh, just the whole idea of it being a torture scene with the upbeat, like you were saying. Yeah. It's so cool. And Tarantino actually, he, uh, when he was doing the auditions, he did the torture scene as the as one of the auditions. Oh, he told everybody that he was going to use this song uh-huh. for the for the actual scene. But if anybody wanted to bring a song like as a suggestion for the scene, they could do that, too. Oh, a couple people came without the song and used a different song. But the majority actually stuck with the song. Yeah, because they said they tried to come up with something else, but they couldn't. Nothing would fit as well. Yeah. They said that uh, exactly that is that they can't see anything but that song. Yeah, they're just fused together. Yeah, you know, and like, that's even before work. the movie came out. Yeah, no, you know, that's, that's insane. But I mean, it just goes to show Tarantino's great like that. Yeah, he he has an ear. He he is one of those directors that he has amazing soundtracks for his films because he's a big music file too. He loves, he's a big audiophile. He loves music just as much as he loves movies. And I mean, I'd say the same for us. We both love, we both really love music as much as we love film. Too. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, no great pick, man. I really, Thank you. Uh, oh, I love that. Just before we move on quick thing, yes, yes, uh, yes, Jerry yes, Rafferty, yes. when he did the song, he, uh-huh. he did a vocal parody of Bob Dylan. Oh, he's on record saying that he, that's why he sounds like that. That makes so much fucking sense yeah. now. And the song is about oh. uh, the song is about a tale of uh of a industry mu- uh music industry like cocktail party. Oh, yeah, that sounds about right. And yeah, he parodied Bob Dylan's voice and people thought it was him. People thought it was Bob Dylan. Somehow, I thought it was uh, George Harrison. And you know what you haven't mentioned, Jesse? There is an amazing cover of this song by the Eagles of Death Metal. This is true. On the first Eagles of Death Metal album, Peace, Love, and Death Metal. So, um, But yeah, like I said, great pick, and I uh, love Reservoir Dogs. Solid film. Thank you. All right. What is, uh, what is your first song? So the first song on my list, uh, this immediately came into my head, and it might be a generic pick but i think that it is um like i don't want to say culturally significant but i think it's ingrained in a lot of people's minds and uh what i'm talking about is uh the song where is my mind by pixies and it's used specifically in the final scene of fight club from 1999 featuring uh ed norton brad pitt Mm -hmm. helena bottom carter uh this song is off their 98 debut album surfer rosa uh, it's based off of uh, guitarist and lead vocalist Frank Frank Black's time uh, that he spent on a trip in the Caribbean. Uh, has some lines about the Caribbean, but it's very much a um, you know a song about like you know being crazy and like kind of like losing your mind. Where is my mind? Um, I like uh, the one line: in it, "Your head will collapse and there's nothing in it, and you'll ask yourself right before it goes into the chorus." Um, but I think this is great. Um, it's during the end of Fight Club. Spoilers for Fight Club if you haven't seen it. But um, the, the movie deals with a guy who basically has like a dual personality, uh, Tyler Durden. And this is just after he shoots himself in the fucking face. And um, he's 
talking to his girlfriend who's played by Helena Bonham Carter and the song kicks in the the drums Mm -hmm. kick in right as all these buildings are exploding outside um and he goes uh he 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 tells um his his girlfriend he's like uh you met me at a very strange time in my life yeah isn't that the last that's the last line that's the last line in the movie yeah and then it kind of just they're like holding hands standing there together watching kind of like the rubble from all these buildings blowing up i don't want to get too into it but um (laughs) i I don't mean that's that's literally well yeah no but i don't the whole scene yeah but i'm saying what no i'm saying (laughs) i'm saying like the plot of the film i don't want to like go on and on and on but uh, yeah, go watch Fight Club if you haven't seen it. But um, yeah, I think the song is fantastic just by itself. I've actually had the pleasure of seeing the Pixies live multiple times. I got to see them play Surfer Rosa through its entirety once, uh, which was great. Um, and I've seen them do this song a bunch of times live. But I mean, I just love the instrumentals. I love that lead droning guitar. And I love the uh, the backing vocals from Kim Deal, the bassist, the I don't even want to do it, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like that very little airy, spacey backing vocal that yeah, yeah. that ooh sound. Um, but I think it, I think it encapsulates one of the themes of the movie really well, which is insanity. It's about being crazy, which in this movie, Tyler Durden is somebody who's a fucking insane person. He's he's nutbag. Mm-hmm. Um, so like. And I think they meld really well together. Um, And I think that's also really important is that you have a song that is really works well with one of the themes of your film. And I think that does as well. But um, enough for me. What did you think um, of what do you think of Fight Club and where is my mind? I've only seen the opening of Fight Club. Okay, Uh, we talked about this before. Yes. And then you sent me the link to the scene to watch the scene. Mm-hmm. So I have, you know, besides the things you just said, I have no idea what the ending of this movie is. Yeah. Uh, besides this scene. So watching it for the first time, I was confused as to why these buildings are blowing up. But I will say you are 100% right. This is a song now that I, I have to go see the I have to see the full movie. I, you do. I even I even own it. But <laughs> you own it and you haven't watched it. Well, technically you gave it to me when you were moving. I uh, you had the extra you had a blue uh not a blu-ray. You had a DVD copy and you Did gave I? it to me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, but so I need to watch it. But the scene itself, the song blends perfectly. Yeah. Uh especially you you touched on the guitar. That that riff, I it it's in my it's in my brain. I've heard yeah. this song plenty of times before, but now hearing the song and watching it, I it's a perfect fit. It truly is a yeah, really it, good fit for the end of the movie. It's it works so well, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and another thing is is like I I really don't want to me. Where is my mind has never been the Fight Club song, you know, and I really don't want any of these songs to kind of be like that. Um, I I would I think this song is also great, you know, just because it can live on its own in the context of the album Surfer Rosa. And if you just listen to it, it's just a great track, but uh, David Fincher's incorporation of it in the end of fight club, I think was a really uh, solid move on his part. I thought it was uh, very, uh, it was, it was a great selection, honestly, but I, I agree. Good. pick. Yeah. And I, and I honestly, I really hope that you go watch all of fight club because it is, it's, I mean, not to be like, um, 
like cringe or anything, but I think it's one of the best films ever made, especially in the nineties. It's one of the most important films in the nineties. And in terms of a book adaptation, because you got to remember too, it's adapted from Chuck Palahniuk's novel. Um, I knew that. Yeah. In terms of a book adaptation, it's also an excellent adaptation of the book. So, and it has, you know, the author's blessing too, but does it, does it stay true? It stays mostly true. I've read the book and um, it, it it changes some things, but for kind of like posterity's sake of the movie, you know, like for like, you know, stuff that wouldn't make sense or, you know, like slimming things down to kind of make things better. But there are a couple things that are different, mm-hmm. but for the most part, the like I would say like 95 percent of the book is basically what the movie is. So. They, the integrity was maintained. Um, All right, but good. yeah. So, uh, what is your next song that you have on your list, Jesse? All right, this is a this is one of my this is a ah, I love this. Okay, it is "Hip to Be Square" by Huey Lewis and the News. Okay, from two thousands American Psycho. Oh my god! <laughs> Every time you you just touched on like I don't want this song to be known as the Fight Club song. Yeah, this song. It literally is the song from American yeah. Psycho. Yeah. I I love Huey Lewis in the news. I listen to them a lot, but every time I hear this, I pl- I replay the scene in my head. You know, it's just yep. perfect. It's Patrick Bateman. He's uh, talking to Paul Allen. Paul Allen's a little drunk, mm-hmm. and uh, plays this song. And he says, uh, he says some choice words about the song uh all positive you know he would do very well on our podcast (laughs) honestly (laughs) talking about the music he loves yeah you like huey lewis in the news yeah you like huey lewis in the news yeah when the song came out it reached number three on the billboard hot 100 what year did it come out the song yeah 87 okay yeah 87 with the release of four, not the number four, but four if you were to swing a golf club. Yes. Uh, F-O-R-E. Gotcha. The song was originally featured on the soundtrack for the movie, mm-hmm. but then after the soundtrack was released, like for shelving, they ha- they removed it very quickly. Um, people thought it was because they didn't, that Huey Lewis like wanted it to be removed from the shelves for some like uh re how the hell do you say this like the context of the song like he thought that the context of the song in the movie was going to be different but that's not the case it actually was uh an issue with actually licensing because they licensed the movie for the song but they didn't license the movie to be on the soundtrack oh okay so they had to take it off the shelves and then you know interesting but uh yeah this song what do you think about it i mean what an iconic scene you know, like literally, uh, you know, an, an, an incredible film. And uh, I would say one of the best uses of music. Again, it's kind of like stuck in the middle with you where it's a very, very different tone. The song is very different from the tone of the scene. Yes. You know, like he's luring Paul Allen back and he's got him all drunk and fucked up and, you know. If you've seen it, you know what happens. He's playing this music and distracting him and putting on this, you know, translucent raincoat. He's about to drive an axe into Paul Allen's head. And it's very hey, much Alan. so. Yeah. Hey, Paul. Oh, and hey, then Paul. He, That's what it was. Yeah. And he, ah, and he, you know, 
buries the axe in his head, and it's such a great moment. And what a fantastic performance! Oh yeah, from uh, Chris, God, uh, Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Yes, um, also known as uh, what's his name from uh, known for his performance, of course. Oh, Gore the from, God Butcher. From yeah, for for Gore the God Butcher, he hasn't done anything else besides that. Yeah, no. it's really great that at um, Marvel decided to give him uh, <laughs> some more uh, work. Some more work ever since he hasn't he has never done another movie after American Psycho. <laughs> but um yeah, no, I, I and I mean just separate, I mean I'm not the biggest Huey Lewis fan. I love his work in Back to the Future, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um I'm a big Back to the Future fan, as you know. And I mean I love Power of Love and all the music that he he did for those movies. Um but I I really do like this track. Um, it's not my favorite Huey Lewis track, but um, it, it especially um, when you contrast it with the scene of the movie, I think it's excellent. I think who directed uh, American Psycho? Uh, I, geez. Off the top of I don't head. know either. Oh man, but oh, Jesse, come on! You had <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, well, again, the director, whoever directed it, the director's choice to do that, I think is such a smart move and i have a song later on too uh that is again like the director made that decision and i think if they hadn't made that decision you'd be looking at a way different film yeah you Um, know it is the the actual scene itself after he does the killing yeah right he just casually takes off the raincoat and then sits on the couch and lights a cigar how badass is that that is so sick in the uh, mind you know it's like oh yeah let me just kill someone and then you know what i'm gonna light up uh i'm gonna light up a a cigar and just chill out while listening to one of my favorite songs while a corpse is right next to him yeah it's it's just crazy and then he has another when he lures that woman back to his apartment and he's like uh you know like pampering her Mm -hmm. and then he starts playing i i don't know uh what the other artist is but he kind of does the other thing i just find it funny the way that he goes on about talking about his music um, yeah and his music tastes but yeah no um like i said another another great choice man i think uh absolutely excellent um and what an iconic scene too very much so yeah very much so but well uh what's your next one buddy so my next one this is going to be a little less known um and i'm going to try not to spoil this as much because i think this is a movie that's very underrated Mm -hmm. and uh i think more people need to see so i don't really want to try and get into the scene too much um i'll give like a little bit away but I, I really think um, people need to go see this. But the song I'm talking about itself is a song called Can We Still Be Friends by Todd Rundgren. And it's off of Todd Rundgren's 1978 album, The Hermit of Minkalo. Uh, it was the first single released off the record. The song itself, it's a breakup song. Um, you know, it's the lyrics are about trying to make, you know, trying to still be friends. Yeah, basically. Well, I mean, it's more so of a a relationship that's failed and there's really no saving it, but it's you're trying to be amicable, Mm -hmm. you know, like, can we still be friends? Can we still get together sometime? Um, Outside of the context of the movie, I love the song so much. It's I don't see enough people talking about this track or Todd Rundgren. Todd Rundgren is really great. Um, He has some hit tracks that people might know, like, hello, it's me bang on the drum 
Um, but I really like the use of there's kind of like a synth piano breakdown midway through. That's really great. Um, and then uh, kind of like the end of the song has this like really strong finish uh, where like the main chorus line, the can we still be friends is playing over it. And it's really powerful. It's super emotional, honestly. Um, but inside the context of this movie that I'm going to talk about, uh, the movie I'm talking about in particular that this song was featured in where I discovered this song is a little film from 2001 called Vanilla Sky, directed by Cameron Crowe, and it's got an excellent cast in it. It's got Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, Penelope Cruz, Kurt Russell, and then uh, Jason Lee is also in this, you know, from uh, My Name is Earl and... Uh, Charlie's you know, dad. And, yeah. Uh, Charlie, and, uh, Charlie and Charlie Factory. Yeah. Um so yeah he's he's also in it as well the guy who plays charlie's dad uh i can't remember his name um and i don't want to spoil too much this movie is kind of like a uh a psychological thriller um tom cruise plays like this millionaire playboy who gets into this really bad accident and then he starts to kind of lose his mind and this song plays over um this very climactic sex scene where at the end of it tom cruise's character kind of does something he he might he might have killed somebody that he didn't want to kill i'm just gonna say that um and it's really great the that like i said that synth breakdown until like the final part of the song plays over it and it just it works with the scene so well because like i said it's very emotional and this scene's very emotional and kind of crazy um I highly recommend this movie to anybody who likes psychological thrillers. It's such a mind fuck. And even after watching it multiple times, it still holds up. Even after, you know, the twist of this movie, I think it holds up and it's, a, you know, it's Cameron Crowe with Tom Cruise. I mean, this is their, they reunited on this movie after making Jerry fucking Maguire. So like, you know, like it's, it's, it, it, it's such a good movie. It's so underrated. But I mean, in, the, in particular, this song, this scene is amazing. But Jesse, what did you think about it? I know you haven't seen the movie. Um, and I didn't want to like spoil the scene for you because I really want you to just go watch it separately. But what did you think about the song? Oh, the song know? is the song is lovely. I mean, yeah. it's very relaxing. It's calm. I definitely could picture this in my head with what you were just saying. I'm excited to see this movie. Uh, you you hyped it up enough. It's so good. Uh, I, yeah, I definitely need to see it. But uh, and I love the piano in this. Yeah, uh, it just it's it's a really nice song to listen to, without seeing the movie. Yeah, no. Um, the soundtrack is also loaded on this movie. I mean, there's what great... what uh what type of music is it all over the place? It's or just it... all over the place. Radiohead, Spiritualized, Bob Dylan, um, the the song that they use for the title track, I can't remember who it is. Um, Todd Rundgren. It's got a mix of everything. I mean, like I said, it's got Radiohead, and it's kind of funny because I I have Radiohead on my list. It's going to be in the playlist. I chose a uh, uh, Radiohead song that was used in Romeo and Juliet. Um, 
and not the one that was written for Romeo and Juliet, mind you. Radiohead pops up a couple places here, but um, Radiohead was on this soundtrack as well, I realized, and I could have chosen that, but I didn't. I decided to go with this because I think, honestly, it's one of the most effective scenes in the movie with this song. Um, but it's got such a stacked uh, uh, playlist uh, or soundtrack of, of music, and um, this scene in particular is just it's one that really stuck with me when i was younger and i saw this movie um because it's one of the bigger twists in the movie um not to give anything away it's not like the biggest twist but it's really like i said it's excellent i think it's great um and i uh, i'm excited for you to watch it you need to watch it and then we need to you need to let everybody know what your thoughts are yeah yeah stuff. i can i'll definitely <laughs> we need to have the vanilla sky spoiler cast so <laughs> but yeah, yeah the no. uh the 21 year old movie yeah we'll do a, a review for it's excellent though but yeah um but jesse what is uh your next song that you want to talk about this is another classic mm-hmm. this is uh, raindrops keep falling on my head by bj thomas <laughs> excellent from the arguably one of the best if not the best spider-man movie the best come on it's the best spider-man 2 from 2004 the original yes. spider-man 2 this song was originally written in 1969 for the film Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Really? Yes, a movie that I have not seen, but it's I've a very, either, very, but... a very popular movie. Fake film fan, you've never seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, but, uh, I haven't seen it either. That's why this is on the list, is because I did not know that. I think of it as a Spider-Man 2 song. Fight me on it. I think it would be a Spider-Man 2 song. I think anybody who knows this song and knows what you're talking about would always equate this movie to Spider-Man 2. Yeah. The scene the scene is so fun. It's Spider-Man, to- Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker loses his powers and this song plays as he's doing the mundane thing of being Peter Parker. My favorite shot in the film is actually in this montage, which is where uh there's a a police chase happening on the street and he he just shoves his face with a hot dog. Yes, like, because... oh, I love that's. I think my favorite part in the whole montage of him walking around is just, just him so funny. taking the big bite out of the hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Oh, he's so goofy looking when he, he doesn't does give. It. He doesn't give a crap yep. about this thing happening. He's just like, okay, yeah, you know what's happening. But you know, the song is really uplifting. It's about a. It's about someone who is overcoming his troubles, you know, realizing that happiness will uh, will soon come. You know the song, did you know that the song won an Oscar? Really? F- for best for best original song for Oh. Uh, Butch Cassidy. No, I did not know that. Wow. Uh-huh. That's yeah. crazy. That is oh my god, but I mean, that's it's 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 a great track though. Yeah, it you know what? It definitely deserves it. It is for me is the the little I I, I guess it's the ukulele, right? It's not that's not a regular uh, acoustic guitar. No, it's a ukulele yeah. in the opening. Yeah, hearing that in the opening, you instantly think of the song because you're like, "Oh, it's super recognizable." And then for me, yeah, like I said, as soon as I hear it, I think of Peter Parker and just going through his mundane life. Gabe, what do you think about this track? I mean, everything that you just said encapsulates how I feel about it. I. This song is so happy, and it's very much a song like you just, you know, you don't care about the world that's going on around you. It's about somebody who 
is oblivious whether out of choice or out of uh just pure fate and circumstance they are oblivious the raindrops keep falling on their head and uh they don't care Mm -hmm. and i think it not only is it a great track but i mean in this specific instance in this part spider-man 2 i think it's an excellent choice because you're right it's just it, it the reason why we laugh about that peter parker eating a fucking hot dog it's just because set to this music it's like especially since he was you know at this part of the story in spider-man 2 he doesn't he he's struggling with his powers he's got like the erectile dysfunction he's he's got the web block yeah he's got the web block so and um and and it's just it's just so it works so perfectly well together and it's so funny and so cute and watching, you know, Peter go to college and Peter, you know, you know, going and riding his bicycle around it, just the fucking hot dog scene. I'm so glad our minds led to the same place because <laughs> it's my favorite part of that movie is just that whole montage and him taking a big old bite of that fucking hot dog. And it's like, you know what? Me too, Peter Parker. That's how I feel. It's like when I'm walking around Costco buying shit and I just got my $1.50 hot dog combo and drink and I just I feel like I got raindrops falling on my head. I just don't give a shit. I'm just walking around being a fucking NPC and it feels great. You and know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sam Raimi. Yeah. The way he directed that scene with the quick cuts and everything is really, really spot on. But my favorite thing besides the the eating of the hot dog is the that last shot where it's just Peter Parker smiling in the park and there it's that freeze frame. Yep. You and know? it's the the end of the song. Nothing's worrying me. Yep. You know, and he's he's happy, you know, like he, for once. Yeah, for once. He's like fucking content with his life and not having to worry about Spider-Man and Mary Jane, you know, he's just going to school and eating hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, man, it's such a it's such a great choice and Raimi too, he's really good about um music in his movies. I I feel he 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 has a a bunch of really good song selections at times. And uh this AKA scene, Spider-Man 3. Yes, yeah, Spider-Man 3 for sure. Uh, with the other montage in there, but that's fun. That's funny for I think different reasons. Yeah. So this one is actually more wholesome, and I think definitely the track works so well with the scenes. So. It does, one hundred percent. All right, so. your number three. What do you got? Uh for my number three. Well, we're gonna stop being happy for a second. We're gonna get dark. Um, I want to give a trigger warning because uh, what I'm gonna talk about involves uh self harm. Uh, so anybody who can't really handle that shit, uh, you know, maybe just skip ahead like 10-ish minutes or so. Um, but I'm going to talk about uh, the song Needle in the Hay uh, by Elliot Smith. Uh, choosing, I think this is the first instance of me re- repeating an artist, getting another uh, song from a, the same artist on one of these playlists. But um, it's from his 1995 self-titled album, uh, Elliot Smith. It was the first and only single off the album. Um, it is, it's a song about, uh, like a heroin addict. And it's like from the perspective of the friend of the heroin addict, but this song and the album in particular, they aren't really about drugs. Um, he, Elliot Smith said that he used, uh, like heroin as a way to talk more about detachment and dependency, which I think is very interesting, uh, that he kind of used that as an avatar to kind of speak about 
those things without at you know as because the song is very dark it's a very very haunting and moody and um it's uh i it's uh, one of my it, i think it's one of my favorite elliot smith tracks for sure it's like definitely in my top three um but it was used prominently in a scene from a t- the 2001 movie the royal tenenbaums directed by wes anderson and it has uh, gene hackman owen wilson luke wilson ben stiller and i'm gonna give a little context to the scene that this is in because i think uh you watched it because there's a clip of it online it's actually funny when you go look this up on youtube if you type in needle in the hay or the royal tenenbaums the other one will pop up in the second search bar like they're this the song and the scene are very intertwined um so a little bit of context um at this part in the movie uh richie who's one of the tenenbaum children played by luke wilson um, he finds out through a private investigator that his adopted sister, who he is in love with and has been in love with his entire life since they've been kids, has been sleeping around with a ton of different people. She's been cheating on her husband with a bunch of people, and she's also been sleeping with his best friend, this guy, Eli Cash, who's played by uh, Luke Wilson's brother, Owen Wilson. And his sister's played by Gwyneth Paltrow. I forgot to mention that. Um, and he is, he's already a troubled person. He was like a, a tennis star who basically he um, choked during a very big game and he kind of lost it all. And he's very much a burnout. Um, this is a family of very talented people that which he's a burnout. So, and he finds out the woman that he loves, who he's very connected with, is fucking around and fucking his best friend. And he he's heartbroken. So he goes into a bathroom and Needle in the Hay starts playing. And he starts to shave his face the entire time in this movie. He has long brown hair and this headband thick and beard. a huge, thick, bushy beard and these sunglasses, right? And he starts cutting all his fucking hair off and he starts shaving his beard and he takes his sunglasses off, covers his face in shaving cream and he goes, tomorrow I'm going to kill myself. And the editing starts getting all fucky and then he takes the razor blade out of the razor that he's been shaving himself with and he cuts his fucking wrists open and he's bleeding all over the bathroom. It is, I think him. For me, this is one of the scariest fucking scenes in a movie I've ever watched. Even talking about it, it's a little hard. It's very uncomfortable. It is very uncomfortable. I it agree. Is, it is, and especially Wes Anderson is a guy who makes very quirky movies, okay? He is a quirky filmmaker, and I love his fucking ass for that. I love his movies for that reason. They're very quirky. They have... But a great thing about him is he weaves very dark shit into his movies. His movies are about very um, talented but flawed human beings, and and especially this movie as well. His movies have gotten less dark, I want to say, um, kind of like at the the older he's gotten, and you know, like especially like more recently with like the French Dispatch and. Um, Oh God, like Grand Budapest, uh, Isle of Dogs, which is a kid's movie. Um, Fantastic Fox. Fantastic Mr. Fox is a kid's movie. It's not really. It has some underlying dark tones, um, but it's not, you know, it's very much like I would say like before 2004, like Steve Zizou and then uh, this movie Rushmore, uh, Bottle Rocket, even I guess Darjeeling Limited, which is like my least favorite of his there's underlying themes of like 
darkness to some of these people. And I think the use of needle in the hay, somebody, Elliot Smith, who had a very dark, very depressing life. Um, his, his life ended very tragically and suddenly it's unknown if he, 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 they said that it's said that he took his own life, but it's the police autopsy, um, was kind of like, uh, unclear about whether it had been a homicide from his girlfriend because he uh stabbed himself in the chest so um and nobody really knows if he killed himself or if he was killed but it's a very dark he had a dark life and i love his music for that because he's it flows into his lyrics and his writing and needle in the hay is such a dark song and i don't know if wes anderson designed the scene around this song but it definitely really works into it and it's it's just so good. It's it's one of the most gut-wrenching and serious moments in any of his movies and any movie that I could think of. It's really fucked up, but I love it um mm-hmm. in a sense that it's really moving. But Jesse, yeah, I I, re- I I know that you haven't seen the Royal Tenenbaums all the way through, but you I did send you the link so you could at least look at watch the scene. So watching the scene completely out of context but with the background that I explained to you. What do yeah, you think? Yeah, I it's it's really tragic. Didn't think it was going to go that way mm-hmm. when I first saw it. What I really like, though, is Wes Anderson breaks his shooting technique a little bit. The way the way the scene is shot mm-hmm. doesn't feel like a Wes Anderson film. Just the scene in the bathroom. Everything yeah. after that. And that little, like, fast cut montage. Yep. All, you know, very center frame, symmetrical both sides. This this scene didn't feel that way it felt like it was from a different movie i was like oh wow this is a western anderson movie yeah uh i don't know if you've ever gotten that from the scene definitely it is uh from any i would say from a de- like a bunch of his other scenes he employed that fast cutting technique elsewhere mm-hmm. um but he kind of uses that during really serious moments of his movies and this is also, I would say, this is like the climax of this movie is this scene um, because this movie is about like a very, it's a, I, not to give too much away, but it's about a fractured family and it's about Gene Hackman's character who is um, Royal Tenenbaum, that's his name. Um, he is trying to get his family back together, mainly because he's broke uh, and he's kind of a piece of shit. Um, and the family has been kind of fractured for years and this is like the one moment that kind of all finally brings them together for the first time in the movie. Um, but we are a music podcast, so I do want to I, I, I do want to put more emphasis on the song itself. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the song? Because oh. I know you're not a, I know you don't listen to a lot of Elliot Smith, but I know you listen to you know like when we did our favorite songs playlist, mm-hmm. you listened to Elliot Smith then. So what did you think about this one? Because it's a different song from Ballad of Big Nothing. I I like his voice better in this song than I did the first song that that I play, that you played for me with Elliot Smith and it fits very much so with the bleak tone of the scene. Yeah. I uh cuz it's needle in the hay. Yes. Right? Yeah. It it repeats a bunch of times and it's very it's not monotone, but there is a subtlety of the monotone in the repeating. It's almost the, like a pleading Mm -hmm. i would say you know um and yeah it is very bleak it's a very bleak song yeah there's Um, not a there's not a lot 
to it, but in a good way. Yeah. No. And in, in terms of uh, it's, I mean, it's, I think it's all just guitar and yeah, singing. it's just a, it's all just acoustic. Yeah. There's actually um, funnily enough, there's uh, he's done the song. He did the song live a couple times before he died. Uh, with like a full backing band and it's like there's a more like rock did he do it faster yeah it's like a rocky for i'll have to send it to you um he did that for a couple of his more acoustic songs but it's a, like a rock version of needle oh, in the that's hay that's pretty cool um and it's still really good it's but it's a totally different song mm-hmm. um like it's not i think elliot smith's voice is so powerful um and I I agree the whole the needle in the hay the over and over again it's very it's just so so sad and depressing and it really works with the scene um and I highly recommend the Royal Tenenbaums to anybody I really think uh people should go check it out um if you haven't seen a lot of Wes Anderson movies or you've only seen some of his newer stuff you want to check out his older stuff Royal Tenenbaums great film I think that's the only one that I haven't seen of his have you seen Rushmore no, that's my second one. It's Rushmore yeah. and that. I've seen yeah. Life Aquatic. I've yes. seen Bottle Rocket. Never seen mm-hmm. Rushmore. Grand Budapest, one of my... I think that is my favorite between that and Fox. I think Fox is my favorite, and then it's Grand Budapest. I um, I, I would say that Steve Zizou is my favorite, Um, but I would say right behind it would be Rushmore and then uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I, I like... I, I will... I mean, I... Not just like I do love the Royal Tenenbaums. I think I I love most of um his filmography. Wes Anderson. It's just a long movie. It's kind of long. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also I actually have uh, a song I didn't talk about that's also on this list is from another Wes Anderson movie. It's the live version of a quick one while he's away uh, by the Who. Um, so check that out. It was used in Rushmore. Um, also check out Rushmore good movie but but yeah um i go go watch royal tenenbaums because i think when you watch the movie and you have the scene in context because it also has there there were a couple songs i could have chosen from the soundtrack too that i thought were really great but um yeah no uh i'm glad that you you like the scene and that you were able to even feel that effect from just mm-hmm. watching the scene by itself. oh the scene yeah the scene's very powerful yeah all right, well, uh, Jesse, what is uh, the next song that you have for us? All right, this song is from my favorite film of 2019, mm-hmm. and that is Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter from mm-hmm. Joker. Ah, okay. Yes, sir. All right. This song, obviously, it's the second part of a two-part song, and mm-hmm. the first part is uh, is the vocal track uh, reflecting on the history of, like, the genre okay and then the second part is pretty much all instrumental but part two is what became like most famous and i'll explain why Mm -hmm. the uh it hit number seven on the billboard charts you know i love talking about where it ranks on the billboard absolutely but the reason why it became such a big song is from sports games now i mean you've been to sports games i've been to sports games I have been to plenty of sports games in my life, and this has been played. This symbolizes, you know, like the victory or the score to invigorate the crowd, you know? Mm -hmm. It was actually the first time it was played uh, for sports. I know we're not talking sports, but it was in uh, 74 at a a minor league hockey game by this guy, Kevin O'Brien. Okay. After he left there, he went to work for 
uh, the NHL's uh, New Jersey Devils, uh, which was first the Colorado Rockies, mm-hmm. but then they turned into the New Jersey Devils. And when he did that, he would br- he brought the song over with them. Ah, okay. And then it just became a tradition from there. The NBA picked it up, NFL, all that sort of stuff. I think the first time I remember hearing it was when I was a little kid and I went to uh, the original Yankee Stadium mm-hmm. um, before it got demolished, uh, like for a Yankee game. And uh, I remember them playing that yeah, way, it, way back in the, the day. The guitar riff is just so iconic, you know? Yeah, of course. It gets you, it gets you riled up. But uh, this song was also used in Happy Gilmore when uh, Happy and Shooter McGavin, they're playing, uh, they're in the the championship yeah do you remember that yes but going to joker uh which is the reason why i picked the song joker in this uh in this scene he had just embraced himself as the joker after killing a couple guys or one guy then he goes and dances on the city streets on a, a set of stairs in gotham city and he just feels the music you know todd phillips who directed the film he said that uh basically when Arthur Fleck, aka Joker, is dancing in the movie. It's because he he is the music. The music is yeah. in him, and with all of his mental problems that he has and that he's going through, that the dancing is kind of like his coping mechanism and how he feels on the inside, and it's coming out through the dance. Mm-hmm. And then when he finally does kill, and he wears that makeup, and he and he turns himself into the Joker the victory and the freedom that he feels that's why that song is being played he he that's how he feels um which is pretty cool i i like the the idea that it's a sports song first right it's a song i mean it's it was popularized i would mm-hmm. say at sporting events for victory and this definitely comes at a part in the movie where you could say that Arthur kind of gets like his first major victory. He just killed the guy that got him fired from his fucking job. Yeah. You know, and totally that guy deserved it, too. He had it coming, although not the his other friend who unfortunately witnessed the incident. Oh, I love that um, guy. Yeah. But I would say that this is kind of like his first win. So I think that's actually really smart on. uh on uh what's his name Todd um, Phillips Todd Phillips's part uh to incorporate that I've never thought of it that way but mm-hmm. that's uh that's actually very interesting and uh get the elephant out of the room Gary Glitter not a good guy yep he uh he was ar- arrested for having child pornography on his computer and n- no bueno not a good guy the song actually being in Joker actually started up a little bit of like a, a controversy I could figure people were like wondering if Gary Glitter was going to get the royalties from the song mm-hmm. being used because obviously Joker blew the hell up, you know, it made a billion yeah. dollars. Yep. People are going to listen to this song and people were worried that Gary Glitter was going to be collecting some cash. Thankfully though, Los Angeles Times found out that he sold the rights to the song. So he doesn't own the rights to the song at all and Universal actually owns the rights to the song. Oh, okay. So, Thankfully, he actually doesn't get any royalties. Um, nice. I guess he was just completely bought out of maybe his just entire catalog. Yeah. So yeah, there's a bright side. Gary Glitter doesn't get any money from this. Love the art, not the artist. People. Yes. Remember exactly. That. You can you can like the music without you know. Well, also I think it's important to uh, you got to separate them. 
yeah it's it's important to acknowledge though uh when people do bad things and um but i i didn't know that and i actually that is good to hear although i gotta say even if he was getting royalties i'm pretty sure the guy is locked away for life in prison Mm -hmm. so i don't know what he'd be doing with that money buying british uh prison food with it i guess (laughs) yeah whatever yeah but you know if people do want to go uh, it, it became really popular to go there after the movie obviously came out like that whole October, pretty much people were flooding to the Bronx to visit the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, the steps are connecting Shakespeare Avenue and Anderson Avenue West 167th Street, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, High Bridge in the Bronx. Yeah. Uh, New York City, obviously. I do have to go there myself. I have not been. I kind of want to just go and be like, hey, this is where this happened. One of my favorite scenes in the movie. And it's funny because, you know, talking about Spider-Man, you've been to the infamous dance spot oh, yeah. in Spider-Man 3. Which is now a fucking city bank. Yeah, unfortunately is a bank. Um, but uh, I've never been either. I, I Honestly, I mean, I saw the reactions of some people, f- at least the people who lived around there, um, and they were not welcoming to uh, people Well, yeah, it, that, that was area. probably hell. Imagine yeah. all the people that saw the movie. And then we're like, oh, let's go. It's right here, you know? Yeah. Like, especially for us, we're, what, 40 minutes away? Yeah. Let's go. Oh, let's go get a bunch of our friends, and let's just go chill out on the staircase in front of these random people's houses just because it was shot, you know, it was in a movie. Yeah, let's go to the Joker steps and recreate the Joker scene. Let's dance. I'm sure they're fucking sick of rock and roll part two because I'm sure that's all that gets played while people are dancing on the steps. And also this that scene is iconic with the movie because it's also the poster, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it is. I think it's I, I would I dare to say it's probably the most iconic scene from the movie. Oh, yeah. Is that whole bit where he's dancing on the fucking steps. I mean, didn't they do that as the trailer, right? The teaser trailer for the movie if i'm not mistaken was him kind of or they I had little remember. pieces of it they That's probably had so little long. pieces of it i do know that one of my buddies from college his brother worked on that scene oh okay uh yeah he he's a a crane operator for the mm-hmm. camera he a jib operator I yeah should say. And, the jib. Uh, and he he did work on that scene well i gotta say um I'm. I mean, I've really not listened to anything from Gary Glitter besides this song ever. Neither have I. But I think it is an a a great inclusion in the film, barring um the atrocities of Gary Glitter. Uh, I think especially now at the context that you've given me, when I go back and rewatch this movie, I'm gonna look at it a little differently with the whole victory thing because I never really thought about that. Um, about it like. It's because it is a victorious moment in the movie. Because, I mean, say what you want. I mean, he kills people in that movie, but he's kind of like, you root for him a little bit. He's kind of, he kind of yeah, gets. Because he's been done so dirty yeah, the entire he gets, time. He kind of gets fucked over the entire movie. So it's a moment where you're rooting for him. And, um, yeah, I, um, I mean, I love, I love Joker too. I think it's a phenomenal movie. I'm excited for Joker 2, the, um, the Joker. Folly so, adieu. Folly adieu. Um, with Lady Gaga, who's confirmed so to be weird. in the movie. I don't think it's weird. I think it remains to be seen. I have a feeling this is going to be something like uh, 
you know, uh, uh, like a one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of thing. But mm-hmm. they're also saying it's like maybe going to be a musical. And I don't know how to feel about that. But I would like it more if it was kind of like less a musical and it was more like dancing type stuff. You know, like there was a soundtrack, but um, like people were dancing, not necessarily singing. I don't need Lady Gaga to sing in this movie. So but she's a great actress. So like I'm I'm excited. Yeah, I'm I'm excited too. I just you know what it is? I trust it because this is the first film, this is the first sequel that Joaquin Phoenix has ever done. Yeah, and, and that's been hard and especially because originally he was going to be playing Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. but he turned it away because of the multi-picture deal that he would have to sign yeah. and he wasn't about that. But something here clearly he needs to make this film because he won an Oscar. Yes. He won an Oscar for this movie. Why go back? Mm-hmm. Clearly there's a reason. And and I think um I don't think he's ever made a bad movie to be honest with you. I think this man is very good at choosing He's very picky. What he does exactly. I mean, he's worked with Paul Thomas Anderson. He's worked with uh God, well, he's he's worked with Todd Phillips. He's worked with uh I'm trying to remember who directed Gladiator. Um Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott, yeah, he's worked with Ridley Scott. I mean, he's worked with, like, the, the best of the best when it comes to Hollywood. And, uh, yeah, I... James Mangold. Yeah, he's worked with James Mangold for uh, Walk the Line, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, Um. I mean, he is very picky, but there's a reason for that, because the movies that he does and what he acts in, he is phenomenal. So I'm excited to see it. But um, getting away from movies, um, just to wrap it up, I think this is a good song. Um, and definitely uh, a great pick for the scene. It's, it's, I don't think the scene would work with anything else. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Like I couldn't name a song off the top of my head that would even be as good as a choice for that. So yeah, it would be hard. All right. We're down to, uh, wait, this is your second, right? This is my, yeah, we're okay. down to the final two here. And, um, so the next one I'm going to talk about. Remember when I said earlier that sometimes you get a scene and a song and they don't quite work well together? Mm-hmm. This works for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> but I think it's still really funny. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite bands. I wanted to include this. Um, oh, God. I chose for my uh, second to last pick uh, to talk about Supermassive Black Hole by Muse <laughs> off their 2006 album Black Holes and Revelations. And, of course, this was infamously featured in the movie Twilight from 2008 (laughs) uh, in a baseball scene that I will talk about momentarily. Uh, But first, about Supermassive Black Hole. Uh, It was the first single off of Black Holes and Revelations. Um, It is a funky rock swinging electronic track. It's I don't know how to describe it. It is it is so good though it is so that baseline too is so driving yeah um it's very it's a very sexy song i'd say it's very it's got swagger to it um it does uh, that's a good that's a good uh yeah I yeah agree yeah the lyrics are again they're about a relationship with the woman and maybe not being able to scrape their grasp even though they're toxic you're somebody's love maybe not even just a woman but somebody you know um Matt Bellamy seems to write a lot about toxic relationships and not being able to get pulled out from underneath their grasp. And the whole 
um the chorus which is glaciers melting in the dead of night and the superstars the super the superstars sucked into the super massive um i think the the whole thing about the premise of a black hole is like this person is a black hole they suck you in you cannot get out of their grasp once you are in you can try as hard as you can but you cannot get away from them love this song i love this song so much there's not really much more i can say about this song that being said it was included in this scene in twilight i watched twilight for the first time ever a couple months ago my girlfriend made me Wait, sit down really? and watch it i'd never seen the movie all the way through before i was able to avoid it i had nothing that i wanted to do with it but sammy was like yeah you should watch it it's actually kind of funny and like it's not that horrible i gotta say it's not terrible um I would say it's better than Don't Worry Darling. Uh, <laughs> no, no shot. Yes, I would 100% say because it's funny bad. There are moments in this movie that are cringe funny, like the room type funny. And this scene in particular is so stupid. All right. It's a bunch of So basically, I, I mean, I don't know what context I can give to this because I don't know who came up with this. I don't know if this is in the fucking book. I don't know where they came up with this idea, right? But it's it's the 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 whole movie set in Seattle, and this scene in particular is uh you know set in the middle of uh, a baseball field during a thunderstorm during in Seattle with a bunch of vampires or not in Seattle but in Washington. Um, same difference, okay? People of Washington don't come for me, uh, and and and. And it's like, uh, God, uh, the main girl, I can't remember her name, Bella, Bella. who's played by Kristen Stewart. Um, she's dating Robert Pattinson. Um, Edward you Cullen. Know, Edward Cullen. Uh, and and she, she's basically kind of getting more introduced to his family and the whole vampire thing. And it's just kind of almost supposed to be like a bonding moment where they're all supposed to be playing baseball together because baseball is American sport and we bond over baseball. And it's like... <laughs> holy shit this just the scene comes out of fucking nowhere and it's like getting hit with a sledgehammer it's so weird and the use of this song i would argue like i said this song's super massive black holes got swagger to it it's sexy it has no place here it doesn't belong here there's there's it doesn't it, but for some reason it all works because it's so goofy and you just can't help but fucking laugh and i gotta say this is on the same soundtrack. There's a Radiohead song in this movie. They play 15 step during the credits of this movie. I was so blown away. I was like, holy shit. There's a Radiohead song in the Twilight soundtrack. What? That's it. just, oh my God. I was like, and I'm pretty sure Muse also did an original song for Twilight. If I'm not mistaken. I know Mike, I think Mike Chemical Romance did one as well, but, um, yeah. Um, in this instance, I can't say that these two work really well together. And I, like I said, I think that's an important thing. I think it works in the context that it's like a so funny, it's bad, but it was memorable, you know, and it, I walked away from it, uh, from this. I will always remember this baseball scene and I will always remember them using supermassive black hole in it but jesse have you seen twilight i've seen all of the twilights <laughs> okay i haven't seen all of them um i was but... the child of a person who decided to read all the books and okay. then drag me to see the movies awesome but you know i will say this the movies they got me hooked 
for a little while. God, when the hell did the first one come out? 2010? This is some information I I never knew. And uh, 2008. It came out in 2000. Dude, I saw this movie in 2008 in the movie theater. That's crazy. I was eight or nine years old when this movie came out. And yeah, I mean, the movie itself, it's fine. It's whatever. Like looking back on it, I used to have uh, some friends who were big fans of this movie franchise. So we would talk about it but the song and the placement of the song in this movie makes zero sense it's such a good song uh you know everything that you said i 100 agree with about this song yeah but... it's one of my favorite muse songs but <laughs> it has so no weird. place being here it's so odd it is it is completely out of place yeah but i you know what it's memorable i don't know i don't know why you know, it is. Um, and it's also just a weird scene. It's just it's like, a, why? It is very weird. I've never read the books. I don't know if this is actually in the book. I have no idea. But I would like to think that a bunch of middle aged men got into a room and they're like, yeah, let's have them all play baseball <laughs> because, you know, it's America. And, um, you know, we're apple. Pie, we'll have them eat an apple pie afterwards. Sure. Mm-hmm. They don't do that, but and then right after it gets really serious and it's like turns into a fucking fight scene because the evil vampires show up. Yeah, the ones who have been killing humans and they're like, "Oh, you have a tasty human mm-hmm. eater." So, um, but yeah, it is memorable, and I think that's why I put it on here because like it does it doesn't necessarily work, but for me, it is a memorable moment. And um, yeah, I, I I think it's just it's so stupid, but it's so good at the same time. Dude, you know, I even remember the three bad guys names like right off the top of my head. Oh, God, no. <laughs> it's freaking Victoria, James and uh, Loren or something. Oh, like that. my God. I, yeah, I truly didn't. I you never told me that you were forced to go watch the Twilight movies <laughs> and that you even bought into the Kool-Aid a little bit. Like, I drank I drank the Kool-Aid for a I couple don't, years. I don't know how to process this information because <laughs> it it makes a lot of sense, but also it doesn't. <laughs> did you watch did you watch any of the other ones besides I've Twilight? seen I got through uh because we were watching New them, Moon's like, the second one. Yeah, we got through Eclipse okay, like so halfway that's through it. They're long. They start getting really long. They like, do get long. And at the eclipse, I know is is over the like, two hour mark. Yeah, it's like two and a half hours long. And then we were watching it on a streaming service where you have to watch like a minute of ads every fucking like half an hour, fifteen minutes or so. Mm-hmm. So it just turned it into like a three hour spectacle, and I just couldn't because they just get progressively worse. Like New Moon's okay, Eclipse just had me fucking falling asleep, and then yeah. I. And then the dude the final breaking one, dawn, dawn breaking dawn breaking yeah. dawn part one and part two the the part two is not good okay. but part two creeps me the hell out because they used a fake baby mm-hmm. and it ev- literally is the worst abomination you could ever see on film when it comes to fake babies oh god uh it is terrifying I don't know why they didn't use a real baby. Yeah, it starts to it starts to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole. I definitely think the first two are good. I think the first one's definitely better than the second one, but the second one is the best sequel. And just think, without Twilight, we wouldn't have Fifty Shades of Grey. So oh, what would I do without those movies? And you know what's funny? At the end of the day, Jesse, 
it all connects back to music because, and I'll, and we'll just leave this here for Twilight. Mm-hmm. Stephanie Meyer wouldn't have written Twilight without being obsessed with the band My Chemical Romance. Really? And My Chemical Romance wouldn't have formed if not for 9-11. So in reality, we really have this moment in history to thank for September 11th. That's an interesting way to look at it. It is the pipeline. I mean, it's not an interesting way to look at it, Jesse. It's just, it's factual. Without 9-11, we wouldn't have Twilight. And we mm. wouldn't have the use, we wouldn't have this baseball scene to grace our screens. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Yeah, and I just want to admit, while we're on the topic of Twilight. 9-11? Uh, no, no, Twilight. <laughs> okay. Um, What kind of fucking name for a, a town is Forks? Forks? Forks. That's what the name of... of the town. Okay. If you live in a town named Forks, I don't like you. There's a couple of towns in Pennsylvania that have questionable names. The only good thing about it is that they made this spoof movie called Vampires Suck. Don't even get no. started no, 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 no. on no, that. No, I'm not. Oh I'm just saying God. they they named the town Sporks, and that oh was God. the only funny joke in that movie. And you I'll know leave what? that there. Because Sammy's been trying to get me to watch uh, Vampires Suck. She's <laughs> like, it's the last great spoof movie. And I'm no. like, none of those spoof movies no. were good. They the were all good horrible. Ones, the only good ones were the first two scary movies. The scary movies are great, but I, um, but then when they started doing like the, what is the epic movie that has uh, epic movie and disaster movie? Yeah, disaster movie with Drake Bell. I don't even want to think about. No, it. that's that's superhero movie. Oh, is that superhero? God, no. I'm sad that I know these two. Ugh. Yeah, because you're a big fan of those movies. Of yeah. no, I will say Vampire sucks. It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a scene in the movie that. Uh, has like the wolves, the Jacob and his packy wolves, you know. Yep. They uh they have a good scene in that movie with uh with a song, another popular song. But uh no, you could watch that for yourself. I won't explain it anymore. All right. Well, enough about Twilight. Back to the music, and uh, we are at our final songs here. So Jesse, what is the final song on your list that you want to talk about today? All right. I personally think this is one of the greatest rock songs of all time. They weren't on my favorites list though. But uh, Bohemian Rhapsody from Queen, the movie Wayne's World. Yes. From 1992. Another 1992 movie for me. Um, This song was off the album A Night at the Opera Mm -hmm. from 1975. And uh, this song was actually written as three songs. I don't know if you could tell that there's a bit of a, a mashup of tones. Um, but Freddie no, wrote... I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to tell. <laughs> Freddie wrote three songs. Uh, Freddie Mercury, and then decided to blend them together into this musical roller coaster. You know, that you open up with the the quartet type of sound of uh, of the harmonies, mm-hmm. and then you go into the ballad with the piano, then the operatic section, the hard rock section, and then it wraps it up in a nice little bow with like. I guess you would call it like the coda, like where it just yeah, brings it yeah. right back to the beginning. Exactly. Right. The circle. Yeah. And the gong, though. Yeah. <sighs> Dude, yeah. we talked about this last week because that's what the Green Day opened. Well, they didn't open with this song, but, you know, they had it playing. Before they hyped they the crowd out. up with it. Yeah. yeah. And the whole crowd was singing. This song is famous partially in with Mike Myers because of Wayne's world, because the song came out in 1975 and you know, it, it did fine for itself. It was the single. 
if I'm not mistaken, right? They uh put I I don't know if people. it was a, I don't know if it was a single, but when the song came out, it, it peaked at number nine, and you know that that's okay, that's it's good, that's pretty good for a new song, but then when Wayne's World came out, it shot back up all the way to number two, the highest mm. it ever got. Yep, and that was twenty almost twenty years after the song came out. Isn't that crazy? That's yeah, that's insane. Um, that that's... that a, that a movie like Wayne's World, which is you know a very popular comedy movie from the nineties, yeah, that it, it had such an impact, and especially the scene. I didn't even talk about the scene yet. Let's talk about the scene. Yes, it's the opening of the movie. Wayne, Garth, and the rest of his crew, they are in the car, and they put on their they put their cassette in the player, and the four of them start singing this song at, on their way to um like the burger joint right yeah the donut 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 place that's yeah what the is. donut place and for some reason it just it hits you know i mean it's a great song but watching them mouth the lyrics in this goofy way each one taking a turn at a different part of the harmony i i just i love this scene and it's a great opening you know with the head banging when it starts to get into the the heavy rock section Oh, God. This song. Gabe, what do you think? What can be said about this song that hasn't already been said? I mean, it is one of the greatest compositions of all time. Mm -hmm. It is one of the greatest rock songs of all time. It is a classic. I don't think there's a single person on this earth who doesn't know what this song is. I will never forget watching Wayne's world for the first time when I was a little kid mm -hmm. and seeing this scene and like not only just laughing my ass off, but then like you recreate it with your parents in the car or like, you know, I'm sure we've sung Bohemian Rhapsody a couple times when we were, you know, like older, like when we were like 18 or 19, we started driving around doing the same shit. It is so iconic. And Something that I really like, I don't know if you, when you were researching this, if you found this out, but before Freddie Mercury died, he got to watch the scene mm -hmm. and he got to give his blessing, which I think is even better that it had, you know, his stamp of approval on it. Um, it's just, I mean, just the song alone, um, obviously Queen is iconic. I would say not only just with like Freddie's vocals, obviously, Brian May, though, as a guitar player, I don't feel like enough people talk about him. I love Brian him. May. I, his guitar playing, not only is it just, it's very classical and it's epic, it's got bravado to it. But another thing, I don't know if you know this, but his guitar is homemade. He built his I guitar. I did know this. I just talked dad. about this to my grandma. Yeah. And that's that tone is so specific. You can't recreate that tone anywhere else. Like you could go like last week when we were talking about uh, St. Ivy and them making that George Harrison tone on the guitar. Right. I have logic on my computer. I could fucking do that. Like I could I could pull that together. But the Brian May tone, there's no way I could get that together without having to go get a Brian May guitar. Like, and it's just, it's just the magic, I think, of Queen, and especially with that song, the solo in it, um, we could both mouth it off the top of my head, so I'm not gonna do it, but, you know, like, it's just, 
the whole thing's iconic. And then to be used in Wayne's world, it's such a tone setter for the movie. Like this is going to be a lighthearted. It's going to be a fun, goofy ride with Wayne and boys, you know? And, um, I think, I don't think anything else would work in it either. I just like, it's so, and you know, it's, but the the other thing is it lives outside of it too you know bohemian rhapsody isn't just the wing world song yeah you know like it does have a life outside of it um and i love that too because um i i think it's it's not my favorite queen song i mean it's definitely one of my favorite queen song but it's not my favorite queen song um but what is your favorite queen song oh man um I could give you a top three. I don't think I have a particular favorite. All right. Uh, don't stop me now. Mm-hmm. Fat bottom girls. Mm-hmm. And man, um, this is hard. My mind goes to like play the game because I think that's a very underrated track. Um, okay. And it's got uh, some really heavy lyrics in it. Um. But I also love, uh, I mean, I love Flash Gordon because I think that's yeah. like, honestly, what an iconic and that might show up on a list later down the line. Like we said, songs made for movies mm-hmm. um, or under pressure, honestly, because it's got David Bowie in it. And that would be yeah. Cool. Radio Gaga for me. Radio. Oh, you know what? I that Radio Gaga is also God. They have they just have so many hits. They do. It's they really hard do. to. It's hard to think of it, but Radio Gaga is such a great track. Yeah, Radio Gaga, Bohemian Rhapsody, and I'd probably say either Crazy Little Thing Called Love or uh, or what's it called, or Under Pressure. Yeah, I Under Pressure definitely. I love the the end part of Under Pressure because you know that's uh, it's it's supposed to be for the youth, you know. Yeah, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, I don't really, I can't. There's not much I can say that you didn't say about it. I think it's not only is it an iconic movie moment, but it's one of the best songs ever made it's it's i think it's very important it's culturally important i would yeah, say yeah freaking rolling stone put this at number 17 on their great uh, 500 greatest songs of all time and i agree and the they did like a poll and freddie mercury's vocal performance is actually voted as the greatest uh, rock vocal performance in history which is cool i think he's he is um top three rock vocal performalists oh yeah i mean the way he could belt yeah know? his range the way his the the way his jaw it was mm-hmm. and his neck that he had that vocal range is insane yeah all right we're down to the last song of the evening we are gabe what is this last song the last song that i've chosen i i would contend this is um another one if not one of the most iconic film moments. And I think without the movie, we would have never ever heard this song. And that would be an injustice to society because they, and this is a situation where these two are so tightly intertwined um, to, like I said, the basically if the movie, if the director never chose the song to be in the movie, I doubt we would have ever heard it. I agree. Uh, the song that I am talking about is goodbye horses by Q Lazarus. It was released in 1998, written by uh, Q's friend and bandmate, William Garvey. Q Lazarus uh, was a musician, real name Diane Lucky. This is the 
really the only song she made. There's like an EP on Spotify that has like two other demos, but this is like, this is a weird instance where this is like the only piece of music this person truly ever made. Um, and after it, they stopped making music. Um, they were a cab driver. They recorded the song. Then they went back to cab driving and didn't emerge for like another 20 years until they were interviewed about this. Uh, I can't remember by who I know there's a really good figure eight video about um, Q Lazarus and about goodbye horses that I recommend everybody checks out. Um, so a little history on the song. It was, like I said, it was made in 1998. Q Lazarus was friends with Jonathan Demi, who is a film director and uh, Q played the demo for director Demi and he liked it so much that he used it. Uh, Wait, are you saying, I'm sorry. Did you Jonathan say 98? Oh, sorry. Um, my bad. It was released in 1991. Yeah, my apologies. I don't know why I have 98 written there. That threw me off completely. Why do I have that written there? Sorry, everybody. I mean, 1991. I have, I have it screwed up in my notes here. Um, cause silence of the lambs came out in 1991. So that would be completely, yeah, I was going to uh, say how paradoxical. Sorry about that. Thank you for catching me there, Jesse. But, um, Jonathan Demi, uh, listened to the demo that was played by Q and loved it so much that he put it in silence of the lambs. Uh, and of course this is used in the 1991 film silence of the lambs with Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster, uh, is in it. Uh, during a scene involving Buffalo Bill where, uh, he is, and a little context, Buffalo Bill is like the main antagonist of the film. He's the serial killer, uh, that basically is making a skin suit of people. Spoilers for a movie that's over 20 years, 30 years old at this point. Um, but one years, yeah, 31 years old. Jeez. Um, and he, so uh, one thing I want to talk about with this is I think the song is perfect for this movie because the song itself, lyrically, it's about, um, it was described by William Garvey as a song that's about transcending earth and earthly materials. And I definitely feel like in the movie, Buffalo Bill is trying to transcend. He is trying, he, it, he's, um, transgender he wants to be transgender mm -hmm. uh he wants to transition and that's a big point made in the movie and he puts moths um or cocoons i think in the um the throats of all of his victims that he kills um and the song is about metamorphosis i would say and that's a big theme of the movie is metamorphosis buffalo bill's trying to metamorphize trying to change into something you know different um, and in this scene in particular, it's so unsettling for people who've seen the movie, you know, where I'm going with this Buffalo Bill is dancing to this song, putting on lipstick, just being really creepy. He's got a victim in the, and his little cell that's trying hole. to, in the hole that's trying to capture his dog, uh, precious. And, um, of course, Buffalo Bill says the infamous classic line, would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. Mm -hmm. um, trying to do my best Buffalo Bill impression there. But it is so creepy. It's so unsettling. And especially set to this song. Um, that is, it is melancholic, this song. But it's very dreamy, you know? 
it's um it's almost kind of trancey in a way the way those synths are uh and with q's vocals the way that she sings um and i just i like the the way that they intertwine with each other it's one of my favorite songs i would say it's in a it's i would say it's somewhere on a list it's not one of my favorite songs uh like in my top 50 i would say but in a top 500 i would put this on there i remember listening to this song playing gta and the song would come on and you're driving around liberty city at night while the song is playing i love driving sometimes around at night and playing this song the chorus the goodbye horses part at the end the flying over you you feel like you're flying and i really like that and um i'm really happy that this song showed up in this movie because I couldn't imagine a world where I didn't know this song. And I think mm-hmm. this is, like I said, I would say, I would argue to say this is top five, if not top three iconic uh, soundtrack film moments, you know, like it was one of the first things that popped in my head when we were going to talk about this and yeah. And also um, last note, just want to say, uh, unfortunately Q Lazarus uh, passed away. Uh, back in july so rest in peace diane lucky aka q lazarus but jesse as somebody i think you've seen silence of the lambs right oh yeah plenty of times and i and silence of the lambs is one of my favorite movies it's um it's an incredible film it's um it's a slow burn but it's a good slow burn it keeps you engaged the whole time um what are your thoughts on goodbye horses what are your thoughts on silence of the lambs it puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. It puts the lotion in the basket. Dude, when you picked this, I was like, oh yeah, this is great. I mean, that scene is so creepy. Yep. You know, it's just him putting on the makeup and dancing to the song. Another another time where our, our you know, well, I guess in this case it's the protagonist, but dancing and has, you know, putting on makeup and is becoming more of themselves i think you mean antagonist but yes what did i say you said protagonist oh well yeah in this case he's the protagonist but you know they're becoming more of themselves you know and in this case it's with the makeup and the you know the skin suit that he that he's creating throughout the entire movie and stuff like that we get a first real look into who buffalo bill is because like at this point we've kind of gotten glimpses Mm mm-hmm of him and it's been from this perspective of like the victim or whether it's Clarice and uh, Lecter talking about him and his background. This is kind of like our first real insightful look into Buffalo Bill, I would say. Mm-hmm. And he's yep. creepy as all hell, you yeah. know, they really did a great job making him just a freaking nutcase. But the song the song is great. I don't know it from anything else besides this movie. I, I don't think I've ever really heard it outside of the movie. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been used in parodies, and I'm pretty sure it's been used in other films, but this was its introduction to the world. Yeah. This is, this is how, I mean, it's, it, it, when I was researching it, the song was released before the movie came out, but obviously it's been made a cult hit due to its use in the film mm-hmm. you know i wouldn't have known this song if i'd never watched silence of the lambs so i mean i played gta but i i knew this movie from silence before of the lambs GTA. first before yeah. gta yeah so 
Oh, my mouse is falling off my leg. Whoops. Um, but yeah, no, um, I think it's an iconic moment. And um, I mean, I'm I'm glad you're happy that I picked it. I like I said, it was like yeah, one definitely. of the first, first things that popped in my mind, kind of like um uh stuck in the middle with you. Uh that was, you know, another another moment uh that also popped in my head. I'm glad you picked that as well. But yeah, um, you know, goodbye horses, go check it out. Like I said, rest in peace to Q Lazarus, aka Diane Lucky. And uh Dude Yeah. That's uh that's a wrap on uh on episode, episode four. four. Episode four in the books. This is uh you know what? I gotta say, after four uh, four episodes, this is getting into a nice groove. I uh, I really enjoy doing this. I like doing this as well. I like I hope... the um what? sorry. No, my apologies. I didn't want to cut you off. No, I I hope uh I hope our listeners are enjoying the ride as well. Yeah. Um, I know we've gone, we're, we gone a little longer than usual in the past episode or two, but, um, I hope people don't mind that because me and Jesse like to banter a little bit, you know, we like to warm up a little bit. So, but yeah, um, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, Jesse, do you want to clue in everybody into what next week's topic is going to be? Next week's topic is our favorite album openers. Yes. I'm very excited to talk about that because there's so many good picks i gotta really make a refined list i'm working on it yeah it's um, gonna be a tough one yeah but uh kind of just like this where there's just so much to choose from mm-hmm. um yeah um but yeah best album openers uh look out for that one but otherwise uh i guess we'll be seeing you in the next one everybody so yeah every everybody go check out those playlists links yes. are in the episode descriptions follow us Rate us. Make sure you rate us. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yep. We'll see you in the next one, everybody. Au revoir. Bye-bye. If you want to listen to the songs we discussed as well as other picks for today's episode, a playlist is linked in the description below. Make sure to subscribe, like, rate, and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram at YSMS underscore podcast. And thank you again for listening to the Your Song, My Song podcast. See you next week.